This episode brought to you by Gilcon and Associates, a division of the Gilday Group, locally operated and family-owned commercial construction company specializing in financial buildings, industrial manufacturing, and historical restoration. Visit www.thegildaygroup.com for more information. Oh, now it all comes out. Yeah, this is on tape too. That's fine. No problem. Hello world, this is DJ Craven and you're listening to the Craven Happiness Podcast. Welcome to episode number 11. We've gone a long way here since Kilimanjaro on our last couple episodes, right to uh, to Park Ave here. So um, without further ado, um, introduce my guest, Dr. Danny Fitton. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for the invitation. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And I got to tell a quick story. Just your name just dropped in me is that, you know, I've, I've been seeing you since you could probably tell me longer than I have since I've had teeth in my head probably. And you've always been Dr. Denny. And to call you Dr. Fitton is almost a little weird because it feels like your dad. I know. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Yep. So um, we went to your name. Just give a quick little intro um, to yourself of who you are, where we're sitting right now, and, and that kind of thing. Just a quick little intro. Sure. Sitting in the reception room of our dental office. I'm a general family practicing dentist. Been here since 1986. Uh, graduated Meadville Senior High School, class of 77. Went to the College of Worcester, 81. I went down to Temple University down in Philadelphia, graduated in 85. Spent a year down there on faculty and taught for a year down there. Worked for a specialist on uh, evenings and weekends out in Bryn Mawr and decided I wanted to get back home, get away from the big city. Nice, nice. And we'll go into a lot more detail through that whole story there, but that's a, that's a good, um, good intro. Um, so what I like to do is um, I ask a question. I've asked several of my guests this um, before and kind of starting from you know, chronologically when you were kind of younger. Um, I like to like to know, try to, to get a little bit more to know who you are and just to contact for the audience a little bit is, you know, what kind of kid were you on the playground? What kind of kid were you then in the lunchroom? And then what kind of kid were you at the party? Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, you know, first of all, I'd, I'd have to categorize myself as not being a cliquish person. I, I love going to different areas of people and, and getting different experiences with people. So I'd say in elementary school, I grew up in Vernon Township and over at the old Town School and the playground, you know, played kickball, played dodgeball, you know, I was just the, one of the regular guys. And uh, the other, what were the other two places? Lunchroom would be the next one, which is kind of then goes into a little bit of the, you know, middle yeah. school time period, any time in the lunchroom. Yeah. That the lunchroom was pretty cool, especially at the high school, because I hung out with a good group of people and still are, are friends today. Some of them are patients, and we'd get in some pretty wild discussions about <laughs> politics and sports. And, you know, lunchrooms were really cool back in the day because you could talk sports in this table and get over here and talk to politics over here and... You know, back in the day, your your voice was changing. <laughs> you didn't know whether to hang with the boys. The voices were changing, or you hang with the the men. You know, it always changing. So, you know, I just I had friends that were athletes. I had friends that were musicians. I was more of a musician back in the day. But uh, my best friend from high school, Dwayne, stole my best friend. You know, and he was quite the athlete, and he got uh, voted best dress of the class of '77. And I got voted best lips 
but that was because of trumpet playing. That's yeah. all it was. Uh huh. Sure. We'll, yeah. We'll check. Uh, we'll yeah. check the facts on that later of some some other guests. But uh, as far as the parties, of course, that evolves as you get older. And Certainly. high school, I was I was definitely one of the shy ones, the quiet ones. Uh, I was kind of like the organizer. And then uh, college, you know, you come out of your shell because when you go to college, nobody knows who you are. You start with a clean slate. So I hung out with a bunch of the cross country track runners and. Got to know that area, and uh, yeah, you just kind of grow and mature as you get older. So, because I was just kind of wondering there about how that evolved for you, that, you know, by you saying that you were the shy one, I could see it, but also I can't see it as well, like if that makes any sense, based on my life that I've known you, of, you know, kind of being a, you know, a people person, and certainly, obviously, you deal with people on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, um, and, and being able to, you know, talk to people a lot, you know, and, and being able and constantly engaged in, in talking and just engaging with people um, is kind of what um, I was expecting some of these answers. I like to try to guess beforehand of what some of the answers would be. But um, so do you, did you see yourself kind of maybe making a little bit of transition, like you said, kind of clean slate into college and maybe transitioning more from maybe Shire Kid to, to engaging in, with more people? Oh, yeah. In college, definitely. I, I came out as far as being able to talk to people and you have to. I mean, if you want to be successful, you you have to talk to people and get to know people and be yeah. comfortable with who you are. That's not to say that shy people aren't successful. It's just I think it's more fun if you come out and talk to people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you um, so getting through um, out of out of town here in Meadville. Why Temple? Why far away? What were the what were the, the dynamics there? And um, I also wanted to kind of ask, you know, just from a general, was there any, you know, from a sibling perspective and, and that kind of thing? Um, why why t why Temple? <laughs> That's a really funny story right there. <laughs> um, I applied to four major dental schools: Temple, University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, Case Western, and then University of Pittsburgh. So going to the College of Worcester in Dead Center, Ohio. You know, I was exposed, did a lot of undergraduate research at Case Western, so I had some connections there. Uh, a lot of Western Pennsylvania people went to Pitt. My father went to University of Pennsylvania. And Temple, I had no contacts at all, no connections, nothing. And um, Temple was the first one to accept me. So I decided I'm going there. I was actually born in Philadelphia. We didn't move here to Meville until I was about five years old. Okay. And um, and I go to, to Temple, and, and it was funny. I was working night shift at the local uh, meat plant back in the day, J&J &J Food Service. And I was dead tired in the summer, and my brother, Doug, woke me up, and he said, Pitt is on the phone. They want you to come there as a dental suit. This is a week before I'm supposed to go to Temple. And I just rolled over and I said, just tell him to pound sand. And he told him that. <laughs> so he, he told me that after I woke up and I said, well, I guess I am going to Temple. And I got accepted <laughs> the case, but I, I just wanted to go somewhere different. And uh, University of Pennsylvania, I got waitlisted. Wait so I figure Temple's where I'm going to go. Yeah. So I go to Temple, go in for the interview ahead of time, get the tour, and I don't know anybody. We're walking through this massive clinic, 140 dental chairs, all these people coming and going, and, and we go through the dental lab where they do the dentures and the crowns, and my dad was uh, in the Navy Dental Corps down in Philadelphia, and I didn't realize this, but back in the day, 
people who worked for the Navy who maybe weren't in the Navy were not, their family wasn't given dental care. So my dad always had his dental tech, Frank Mizgorski, bring his kids in and his wife on a Saturday morning on the QT and he took care of them. Fast forward 25 years ahead, 19, that would have been 81, I'm going through Temple and my dad runs into Frank. And he's this little guy, un unlit cigar, chewing on it. And he said, hey, Ski, hey, Abe, how you doing? And he introduced me to Frank. And so my dad had to go out in the hall, talk to someone. And Miss Gorsi waved me over and he says, hey, Fitton, you coming here? I said, yes, sir, I am. He says, good, I want to bust your butt, just like I busted your old man. <laughs> and I was scared. I was scared. And so every once in a while, I'd get a phone call from Frank Mazgorski. He says, how you doing in your classes, kid? How you doing? And, you know, so everything works out for a reason. I really feel that. And, you know, Pitt is a good school. Case Western, Penn's a good school. But, boy, I found my niche at Temple. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. And um, I think I want to take a step back. I got a little ahead of myself here as far as, you know, you've grown up here in Meadville. Let's talk a little bit about your dad. And, um, you know, what, what did, is he the one that started this practice? Uh, no, he bought the practice from Dr. David Dunn. And the original practice was on the corner of Park Ave and Arch Street. There's a brick building down there right now. It's a counselor's office. And that was, supposedly, that was the first building built in the continental United States as pure dental office. And if you go back far enough, where that building is now, that used to be the turnaround for the canal, the canal boats, and there used to be like a terminal for canals up by that little dairy mart on Arch Street. So the reason why that building's still standing today, I was just talking to my dad today about that, because it's for sale, and he said they put pilings in there and they built the pilings on it, much like what your company does. They build pilings before they build a building and it's still there today. Yeah, no, that's crazy. So he bought it from he bought it from the, the other doctor and would that that would have been basically when he came back into town? It was that kind Well, of it's some of the funny purpose? because he was from the hard coal region, Mount Carmel, center part of the state. My mom was from East McKeesport. And they met Juniata College. They were in Philadelphia. My dad was working on the side, working in the dental corps of the United States Navy. And he was looking to get out after three years. And he heard of a practice for sale. No internet, no you know high speed, whatever. He just word of mouth. There was a practice for sale in Meville, Pennsylvania. And a buddy of his says, oh, yeah, that's a suburb of Pittsburgh. 1963. <laughs> no 79, no nothing. So my mom had spent summers at Conneaut Lake. And okay. she said, no, that's up by Conneaut. Let's go look at it. So he actually came up here by himself from Philadelphia, had one day to decide whether to buy the practice, and he had to find a house <laughs> without seeing anything on the internet or whatever. So he yeah. bought a small house, a ranch house, across from what is now Chovey's on Charles Street, and uh, that's where we lived there till I was about seventh grade. Okay, okay. So so he comes up here, he buys the practice, and is it just him? Is it at that time it would just be just him yeah, as the it, dentist? What happened was he was in this building, and he found out the building was uh, sold out from under him, so he had a short span of time to find somewhere else. And there were three other gentlemen that were looking to build, 
and Alan Bailey, I think his office was above the old Hunter's News. Dave DeGrange was across the street in a buff brick building on the corner of Arch and Park Avenue. And Dr. Dininger, who was a medical uh, physician, they were all looking and this property was actually a big hole in the ground. And Mrs. Kukas next door, um, who is a very colorful character, I used to cut her grass as a kid, but she didn't want this property sold to Allegheny and want those ruffian Allegheny students over here. They're gonna put a dining hall here. So the four gentlemen got together they bought the land. This building was actually prefabricated uh, by Marshall Erdman, which is out of Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. And it came in on sections. And as a, as a builder, you would appreciate this. My dad said to him, uh, gentlemen, you're putting a flat roof on and we're in Northwestern Pennsylvania. And he said, well, doctor, not to offend you, but we're from Wisconsin and we know how to build flat roofs. <laughs> so this building is now uh, it's 1968 it was built, so 52 years old, and it's only had two roofs on it. Wow. Knock yeah. on wood. So, yeah, yeah. the rest of sto uh, history, um, the partners, uh, all of them have now retired. Two of them have passed away, and now there's still three dental offices and a physician here. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So, remind me again and, and, and inform the audience of uh, your siblings, and it doesn't have to be exact ages, but generally the distance is apart from the oldest down to the youngest, just so I can add some context for some of my questions. There. Yeah, well, I have two younger brothers. Um, we were five generations in the Fitton family without any women at all. So this oh, is wow. the generation of our kids, or, or the kids now, that have... Uh, nieces and daughters and sisters and whatever. But I have two younger brothers. Uh, my brother Doug is a funeral director with his wife down in West Virginia. He, I'm 61, he is 59. And my brother Chris is 10 years younger than I am. So he's 51 and he's a hydrogeologist down in State College. So, so you've got you, you've got a younger brother that's close, close in age to you. Um, the question is for me, were you always enthralled in dentistry? Was it something that, you know, you, 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 you just, you know, you fell in love with from your dad. You thought, well, this is something I might be able to do because dad's doing it. Dad's saying, hey, if you go to school, this could be something that you could do. Where was the path to even, you know, have an idea that you wanted to be in, in dentistry? You know, I, I guess when you go to college, you know, especially a uh, small liberal arts college, they kind of tell you to think on your own, teach you how to think on your own. And I went to school with like four major occupations of mine. One was a, a chemical engineer or chemist. One was a professional trumpet player. One was a landscape architect. And, and dentistry was there. But I did not want to make my decision based on what I saw from my dad. Mm -hmm. So I hooked up with, um, at the time, our Presbyterian minister's son-in-law was actually a dentist in Worcester. So I would take the little Worcester bus down every Friday afternoon and I'd observe Dr. Brian Lacey to see a different point of view of dentistry. And as I went through the logistics, I, chemistry, I like chemistry, but I didn't want to be in a room all day. Landscape architecture, I love, but I realized I had to live in a big city, and big cities weren't for me. But I still love working outside, doing landscaping. Professional trumpet player, you gotta be really good to do that. But I still play my trumpet. I'm a member of Shades of Time, a dance band locally, and. Dentistry, you know, I, I started looking that way. My dad never really pushed me. Even when I was in dental school, 
I would ask him, hey, how do you do this procedure? This is how we're t taught how to do it. He said, I'm not going to tell you. And I said, why aren't you going to tell me? He said, you're the most advanced continuing education class I could ever take. So when you come back, <laughs> you're going to teach the old man. And I looked at him and I said, are you going to listen? He said, well, that remains to be seen. <laughs> so, so not a lot of pressure there, but certainly you, you saw the lifestyle and you saw it here when you were growing up and yeah. something that you completely didn't obviously turn your back at, but you wanted to maybe get some experience elsewhere. It makes Correct. sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah it makes, makes total sense. Um, so... So you ultimately, um, you know, kind of grew up in the family business, um, you know, saw the, you know, the, 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 you know, the differences that that can make, um, you know, being in there and, and certainly didn't shy away from that either then, obviously. No, and, and it's funny you say family business. I remember having a long discussion with Doug Lang back when they had dad's dog food and it became Ainsworth. And I said, you know, Doug, we should have started a, a club years ago of not only guys who work for their fathers, but kids who work for their fathers. And, you know, we started rattling off all these small companies and successful businesses, because when you work with a family member, there's a lot of pros, but there's some cons too. And I'll tell you one thing you got to do, you got to talk, you got to talk, talk, talk it out, because how they're doing something might be totally different from what you want to do or what they say. You might be insulted and they didn't mean it like that. But the nice thing is, for the most part, 98% of family businesses, you can trust each other. You're not going to steal from each other. You can yell at each other like you wouldn't a regular employee. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of give and take. And I'll never forget a class that my dad and I took early on. We had a, a very good financial advisor who advises dentists all over the country. And he looked at my dad and he said, is Denny's mom your wife? And my dad said, well, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, what the heck, what, that's a stupid question. He said, think about what I asked you. If your wife was your second wife and it wasn't Denny's mom, that throws a whole different dynamic into it. And I thought, wow, that is really cool. Yeah, so. yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, because it would, and and that's why I asked, um, you know, I had Justin Gray on early on, and we talked about it a little bit as well of just you know being able to see it myself is just that firsthand. It's a, it's definitely a different experience. There's it, no it doubt really about that. is. Yeah, I mean, again, a lot of pros. Uh, obviously, I agree that they outweigh the cons, um, yeah. but there's. There definitely is some there's there's some things there. Um, there yep. definitely is. So um, so you decide to come back to Meadville. What's that decision like? Of you know you going through Temple, going through all the appropriate classes. You know you all right. You're going to be a dentist. Um, you know you're kind of having these conversations with your dad of like you're going to come back and teach me all those things. How early on did that conversation have? And then when was that ultimately decision made that you you know a were invited be interested and then ended up making the decision to come back well you know how small town living is and, yeah <laughs> and and people will talk so i i made the decision you know one of the reasons why i stayed in philadelphia was i i was dating a, a young lady who was actually an industrial hygienist so they're like a safety office officer for uh, big companies and um i wasn't quite sure if she wanted to come back here she was originally from ohio but now she lived in New Jersey. And I hadn't met my wife yet. And then you fast forward to, I start practicing, my dad and I are working things out. I do meet my wife, she was a dental hygienist, still is. 
and Marcy was working across the hall for one of the partners in the building. So poor dental student me has the Volkswagen Beetle or Volkswagen Rabbit with the holes in the floorboard and <laughs> Kevin uh, Howick said, you know how Fred Flintstone's feet would come through? <laughs> he said, that's what's going to happen with your car eventually. <laughs> and I'm looking at my beat up Volkswagen. I see this sharp little MR2, a little two-seater Toyota, and it belonged to Marcy. So one thing led to the other. We started talking and uh, went on our first date, uh, miniature golfing. and. So Saturday morning, you know, we've been dating. I know she's dating uh, Dennis in Scranton, and she knows I'm dating a young lady from New Jersey, but we never really talked about it. So I'm down at the market house, beautiful sun, sunny day on a Saturday morning. Who do I run into but Bob St Stanton? That'd be Tom Stanton's father, Randy Stanton's father. He was a bigger than life guy, and he said, young man, you look a little down. What's the matter? He said, well, I don't know. I'm kind of dating two women at the same time. It's getting old. And I said, what do you think? He said, well, do they like the Conneaut Lake? Because he was a big Conneaut Lake guy. I'm a big Conneaut Lake guy. I said, the one in Jersey? No. The one locally? Because Marcy's roots are very deep here. Her, grandfa her grandfather and grandmother started Hank's frozen custard. So he said, well, the one in Jersey, she really doesn't like the lake. He looked at me and said, broom the broad. <laughs> I said, excuse me, sir? He said, broom the broad. And then he walked away, got his fruit and vegetables at the market house. So the rest is history. Marcy and I have been married since 1989. Nice, nice. That's a pretty cool story. Um, before that, though, to be able to come even back to Meadville, did you have conversations with your dad about that? I For mean, a whole year. Yeah. We talked about the remodeling. We had a really good architect, Bill Douglas, do some drawings. We had a deal with the partners to let them know what we wanted to do. So we, we really, 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 really talked a lot, you know, and it was probably on a weekly basis there again. No internet, no, uh, you know, hey, let me shoot you this photo that I think would work. And uh, it, there was a lot of trepidation, you know, when you come into a business and I didn't own it, I was an employee of his practice for quite a while and you know do you use the same account do you use the same vendor do you use the same blah 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 do you, i mean you want to be your own individual but you also don't want to hurt people's feelings too. right yeah and then uh, any family business i think you go through a little bit of a cycle like that yeah there's a there's a spot there where you got to navigate those things right Absolutely. yeah because you have no you you've had this history for x number x number of decades probably right and it's you know they're then having the next generation turn and is it just an automatic that oh well you know your your dad my dad work together then that means we're going to work together type of thing and yeah yeah, there's definitely some some navigation there, no doubt that um, I'm sure we've both have dealt with, even in my young career, um, and all of that. So now that that's pretty cool. So one of the things that I wanted to kind of ask, you know, as you you know you're getting here and you're you know like you said you're you're an employee first, you're not necessarily viewed that way from the outside, but that's actually how it is. That's the way the structure. That, is. That's the way yeah. the structure is. Um, almost anybody would you know would have it that way. Um, you know, how was that for you to be just kind of you know 
talk a little bit more about it, even what you just said of like coming in and kind of, you know, you've got fresh new ideas, you know, almost guaranteed that, you know, your dad's been doing it this way for X number of years. And was there, you know, like you said, you you obviously probably just talk it out, but was any, anything in there that, you know, stories or anything you can come up with that, that were, you know, kind of some of that, you know, a little bit of, little bit of pulling of like, maybe we should do it this way, dad? Yeah, there was, there was something. Well, first of all, you know, people think, you know, when a, a, a youngster comes into a business, they're handed the business. And I would say 90% of the people I know, it doesn't go that way. It's like what the accountants say, you eat what you kill. So right. if you're not producing, you're not making money and you're not being able to support your family or pay your student loans. Uh, I remember when I first started, you know, uh, rah, 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 I'm still rah, rah, rah. And within three weeks, I fired three dental assistants. <laughs> I thought, am I that tough to get along with? <laughs> but, you know, back then, that was 1986. You know, pe just like today, people have to show up. They have to be on time. They have to have a good work ethic. And I can train people. I love to train I love to teach. I, I still love to teach. If there was a dental school within less than half an hour, 45 minutes drive, I'd probably still teach. Now, granted, we have LECOM up in Erie, but I, I, I just, I like the big university to teach in. Yeah. So, yeah, we had a little uh, pull, tug and, 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 and pull, tug of war a little bit there. But anyways, my dad was very, very kind. He said, this is your room. You treat it like you want it. We're gonna buy your equipment. You make it work and you do your hiring. And uh, and then he was always there to so I could vent. But you know, my dad worked till he was 83. He's just been retired almost four years. And that generation, he could say it like it was. Yeah. And people weren't insulted. We didn't have the political correct. I mean, let's face it. He's a coal cracker. He's a Navy dentist. He could always tell it like it was. He's an excellent, excellent clinician. But he gave me a lot of the practice management stuff to do. The hiring and firing, the ordering of supplies, you know, basically almost from day one, he could come and go as he wanted to much more readily. Yeah. Whereas I worked in the beginning, I worked two evenings, I worked every other every Saturday morning to build up the practice and that's what you have to do. But, um, oh, there, there, I'll tell you one story. I was probably 27, 28 years old and did this beautiful cosmetic dentistry case for this young lady who was gonna be a model. You know, there's a lot of young ladies out there who always say they're gonna be a model. So I respect that, you know, I'm just the teeth guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I did beautiful, I thought it turned out well. She thought it was well, well done. And she came into the treatment room. She wanted to show me how well she was taking care of it. My assistant, thank God she was there. And this uh, patient, who now lives, I think, in Tennessee or Kentucky, she brings in this book, probably two feet by three feet. It's her modeling portfolio. Wouldn't you know it was lingerie? Oh, jeez. Yeah. My <laughs> face got three shades of red. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I just want to look at the teeth. Yeah, I right. Yeah, I don't anything. need everything else. And I said to uh, my assistant, you ought to look at this. Yeah. I'm going to go get a drink of water. <laughs>
That's pretty funny. I'm sure you've got plenty of stories like that over the years of, of you know, from the chair to stories. Absolutely. So to you got to be professional. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so with um, with your dad being, you know, involved for so long, um, you know, did you, what was the, what was some of the, um, you know, really the, the dynamics um, of the similarities and differences is really what I mean as far as between the two of you. Was there, were there glaringly differences or were there glaringly similarities, at least from your perspective on, you know, even your personality or just how you handled business? I mean, you mentioned obviously that he was a sailor and, you know, all of those things, um, but anything, uh, anything else that, that's in there? No, I, I think he gave me the discipline, you know, how to be uh, a little bit more forceful with people, more directive with people. Um, he was a good listener when I come with ideas, but dentists mostly are, are gadget people. You know, they want the latest gadget. My dad would always say, "You don't want to be the first one to buy it. You don't want to be the last one. Let somebody else make the mistakes with it." Mm -hmm. But he was always a gadget guy, and uh, so it, it was it was a nice pairing off. You know, we, we we made a good team, and he came in one day, and I forget. He looked at me and said. Do you know that today marks the day you and I have been practicing longer together than I practiced by myself? And we were together 30 years. Wow. Now. Yeah, that's a long that's a long time. It's a long time, you know, and we have two boys who are now 28 and 24 and, you know, and Marcy worked as a dental hygienist for a little bit. I, I got to tell this story, though, because if anybody knows my father and, you know, He's got a very dry sense of humor. He signed up for a periodontal course, so that's all about gum and tissue. And it was at his alma mater, University of Pennsylvania, Ivy League Dental School in Philadelphia. Marcy wanted to take the class too. I was not interested in that, but my mom was going too. So I said, you guys go to the class, and mom and I, I'll take mom shopping, or we'll go see the Liberty Bell, whatever. Well, Marcy was six months pregnant, and Marcy had her name hyphenated, Marcy Gillen Fitton. And then there's Abe Fitton, class of 1958, Penn. They all thought my dad <laughs> and my wife were a couple. The whole <laughs> class, the whole six hours. I said, Dad, you told him, did you? Said, no. no. <laughs> I'm kind of proud of that, you know? So Marcy just went along with it. So. The upper crust of Philadelphia thought, oh, here's a guy from little Meville. You know, he's got a young wife. So. <laughs> but, you know, it's just little stuff like that. You can have fun with your parents professionally and let other people think other things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's too, that is a, that's a really funny story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of on the, on the theme of the business here, um, you know, what's, what's, next for, what's next for Dr. Denny, so to speak? What's next? Well, I'm 61. I got a phenomenal staff right now. I, I, I don't feel 61. I'm, I'm really enjoying dentistry. Um, it, it, I miss my dad. You know, it, I miss having to, to banter things off of him. But the next thing would be to try and bring in an associate. It's very, very difficult both in medical and dental to attract young people to this area of the country. Not this area of the county or this area of the state, but if you look at the demographics, a lot of the populations go in the Southeast America and Southwest, uh, Southwest. So, and that's where your population growth is. That's where your colleges are growing. That's where your cities are growing. Uh, but then the guy that's always advised us, our corporate attorney, who I uh, uh, talked about earlier, 
He said, your most successful dental businesses, dental practices, are in towns people have never heard of. Yeah. I mean, here in Meville, it's like, you know what? I left my keys in my car. Your car's still there. Yeah. How many times <laughs> do you go to a convenience store or a fast food place in the dead of winter and the keys are in the car and the car's running? Yeah. You're not going to do that in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. You're not going to do that in the area. Right. And I mentor a lot of pre-dental students across the street from Allegheny College. And I say one of the best things about practicing as Meanville is everybody knows you. Yeah. One of the most difficult things about practicing in Meanville is everybody knows you. That's <laughs> catch-22. And if they don't know you, they you know their aunt or their uncle or their brothers or sisters. And so you do your best every day. You keep your nose clean and you hope it all works out. Yeah, and I, I guess I want to ask a little bit about that too, because you know some of the things that I always talk about um, as it relates to happiness um, is you know there's a judgment piece in there, and I got to imagine you know just kind of hit me when you said that about everybody knows you, you know both and good and bad, um, that there's got to be a little bit of part there that when you go out, so to speak, of your even your house or anything, I mean, you're really representing just more than just you. I mean, you're representing the people in this building, your family, and all of those things because, like you said, everybody knows you, and if they don't, they will eventually, right? right. So how have you been able to somewhat handle some of that judgment? Because, you know, the way I look at judgment is that people will judge you and they don't even know you, right? right. I mean, even, you know, you're the, you're the, you're, you know, you're giving service to somebody People think that they probably know you, but they right. don't know you. Um, right. I mean, I don't even really know you, and I know you, right? right? So where, do you, where, where have you kind of been able to handle that over the years from a judgment perspective of just others outside, you know, kind of looking in, you know, even though they don't really know what's on the inside? Well, first of all, I could tell you story after story, going to the grocery store and having a little Johnny or Susie, six years old, stopping their tracks when they see me. And they run back to their mom and dad and say, that's Dr. Denny, that's Dr. Denny. He's <laughs> like, yeah, they allow me out of my office every <laughs> once in a while. So um, you, you keep your nose clean. You have a really, I am so fortunate to have a really tight circle of friends that I know if I picked up the phone and told them I need help, they'd be here in a heartbeat. You know, and we used to say, go to Pittsburgh to let your hair down. Well, first of all, there's a lot of people I run into in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And secondly, I don't have as much hair anymore. <laughs> so I guess, you know, everything in moderation and everything was drilled into us, literally drilled, so to speak, in dental school, do what's best for the people. And you can put your head on that pillow and sleep well at night. Right. Now, that doesn't mean I don't go out and have fun. I've had a lot of fun nights with your parents. <laughs> and whether there was any libations involved or not, but I could be in a rubber room with your dad and a box of rubber bands and we'd have a fun time all night long. <laughs> it's just the way we are. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I, I guess people, I, I feel bad for this generation because we raised our boys and I was always harping on them. Wherever you go in this town, someone's gonna knew, know your brother or your parents, or your aunt, or your uncle, or your your grandparents. They have five living grandparents in this town. So, you know, you gotta keep your nose clean, and they would get mad at me harping on that, but I feel bad for the generation now, because everything is on Facebook. Yeah. Whether it's true or not, it is on Facebook, and that's not right, because we all make mistakes, we all have our ups and downs, we all, 
pull an inner tuber with a rope that's too short and go in front of the fish commission and the the district justice, not saying that it ever happened to me (laughs) and had to pay a $175 fine, but that's another whole story. But, you know, I feel bad. You know, people are so quick to judge in a negative way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and on the other hand, there's so much good going out there, and that, that doesn't get out there. And, you know, on my soapbox, I wrote a letter three years ago to the Meeville Tribune to get rid of the negative comments on the sound off. If somebody wants to be negative, they can sign their name to it. And I'm happy to see that the Tribune has gotten rid of all that negativity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and from my perspective on that is that, you know, yes, there's Facebook and it's just it just exposes people is all it's doing, right? Because right. it's not Facebook's fault. Facebook's not putting it on there themselves. The people right. are putting it on there. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And 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 it's and, and honestly, you know, if you look at it from a business standpoint, because that's what Facebook is, they want people on their platform. Exactly. Like they want people to go on there. So yeah. um, you know, they're not just necessarily showing you anything, especially now with all the algorithms. I mean, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all these things, they're showing you what you want to see because you're continuing to, to look at it and to, and to research it and to watch it. So from the negativity standpoint on the whole social media thing is it's, it is it is tough, um, you know, for, for people of, you know, not even really necessarily my generation, I'm sure, yes, and above me, but then certainly down, as you said, going down the line and, and the lower, lower it is. Um, where I guess I see it is, is that you just can't really buy into it because somebody is taking their time to read your whatever it is, and if they want to spit venom at you, I like to look at it as empathetic towards them of what's going on in their, what's going on in their life right now. Exactly. To take the time to be able to spit venom at you when you have not, you don't even know them. Again, you don't even really know them. At all. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Last week, <laughs> my eye doctor retired, so I got a new eye doctor, and I had to look up her phone number. So I'm on my phone, I do the Safari search, the Google search, got her phone number, called and told her my contacts feel great, which is good for the dentist. Yeah. You got to make sure the eyes and <laughs> the hands bonus. look good. Yeah. So the contacts look great. They're working fine. Order me some more. Hang up. Boom. Within an hour on my Facebook page, or no, not on Facebook. Within an hour, I get ads on my email account, solutions for aging eyes. Mm-hmm. Now that's pretty damn scary. Yeah. It's all connected. It's all connected. When you go on to, it's the same type of thing. If you were to Google something right now, you could next week, tomorrow, next year, but most likely it's going to be sooner. Then all of a sudden you go and watch the Craven Happiness podcast on YouTube. Your pre-roll is going to be about whatever you just Googled because it's all connected. Google owns YouTube, so that's an easier connection, but they're all connected. They, they, it's all based on what you're searching. So what you're searching, it's the same thing. If you're scrolling and all of a sudden you click on something, that is going to continue to show you that because that's what you were interested in. Yeah. They want to keep you on the platform because they're trying to show you something that you're interested in. So once you're interested in something, it's going to continue to show you that. So what's a what's a foolproof and funny way to do something is that, you know, somebody that, you know, oh, well, I'm not on Instagram that, so that I can look at, you know, the, the other gender in a, you know, in a provocative way. Well, let's look at your, let's look at your search history because you could see it's all, it's all right there. It just shows you what, whatever you want to see is what it's going to show. It's scary stuff. Yeah, it is scary. Um, it is scary. But at the same time, if you're aware of it, you're aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. I just that just blew me away last week. <laughs> How'd they know that? Duh. That's it. It's all it's all connected. Everything's all connected. Yeah. 
Um, all right, so from a successful standpoint, um, how does Dr. Denny look at success? What does success look like to you? You know, my wife always says I love projects. And I think projects, that's, that should be my middle name. Um, whether it's a family project, you know, you're working with the kids, or whether your kids are your project, which I think that should be the number one project, whether your marriage is a project. Um, I just, I think success, it, they're not materialistic things. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Having some cash in your pocket and you can pay your staff well and you can uh, go out to dinner with your friends and, uh, once a week or whatever, put your kids through college and make sure they take out loans so they have some skin in the game. That's all well and good. But I, I just think, you know, as I've gotten older, and, and, and I shouldn't say as I've gotten older, I've always valued relationships. Mm-hmm. Always valued relationships. I mean, your father was our reader from the scriptures in our wedding. And if anyone knows your dad, they're going to say, he read the Bible? Said, <laughs> yeah, he did. And he did a really good job. And um, he's, you know, it's all about friendships, uh, health. I've always had this saying, there are two places, doesn't matter how much money you have, there are two places where money's not gonna help you. One is in a hospital bed, and it doesn't matter how much money you have, if you're in a hospital bed, you're not getting out of it until you're healthy. And two, you ever go to the beach, see some of these wealthy people, they really should be wearing what they're wearing, <laughs> no matter how much money they have. But no, I just think relationships, uh, our boys are telling me that their generation, they're not into collecting things like Hummels or muscle cars or things. They'd rather do experiences mm-hmm. like what you did with yep. Mount Kilimanjaro. You know, you'll remember that for the rest of your life. Yep, absolutely. When I was 16, I had the opportunity to go to the World Boy Scout Jamboree and my tent mate was uh, attorney Glenn Thompson in town. It's 16 and that uh, that's 45 years ago. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more um, on that of the success is not really, I mean, it's not the, the dollars. Um, granted, you need dollars to be able to put a roof over your head. Some of the things you mentioned to be able to sustain your life. I mean, you have right. to have that in some sort of manner. But yeah, it's, it's not about that. The relationships, you mentioned Mount Kilimanjaro. Those are my past two previous episodes, um, you know, part one and part two. And it is, you know, that or the relationships was like the best part of that for me, you know, because the bond that I have with those nine other people that are here locally and then the the other 40 people that helped you know basically carry us up the mountain um you'll just never lose that you know it's no. a, it's it's just you know I, I i assimilate it to like some of my sports teams that i've been able to get so close with you know exactly it's it's unbelievable on how you can building those relationships is, is definitely a big thing now does that mean when i came out of dental school i wanted the didn't want the little volkswagen scirocco that i actually bought it at smith gray where they had a volkswagen dealership there at one time I bought it, we got married, we got a four-door sedan. Uh, does that mean I didn't refer to my sunglasses as Barnays because that was the sunglasses back then? I did, but you know, now it's just like, you know, I lose sunglasses, so I buy the cheapest sunglasses possible. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, it's a cycle. It really is a cycle. And you know, I feel bad for some of the people that maybe have all this stuff, but they don't have the friendships. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a saying that I've heard about, um, you know, crying in your Ferrari or smiling in your Toyota. Yeah. 
and there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to that. There really is. Yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, another thing that I like to ask um, is that have you ever heard of um, you know what is your why and defining your why and that could be directed towards your work, towards your life, towards your family, towards your anything like that. But have you ever have you ever thought about of kind of just what's your why? Why do you do what you do? Have you ever thought about anything like that? Yeah, before? my why would be making people better, making people happy. I like to fix things. I'd love to be president of the United States. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would love to do that. But I would also get frustrated because I can't fix things. Yeah, That's why I feel so fortunate to be in the dental field versus my friends and colleagues in the medical field. Because if I need a piece of equipment, I go and buy it. I don't have to go to the committee who will research it and rec uh, put in a requisition and get the best bid and come back. And now by the time you get that piece of equipment, it's outdated. I just, you know, I save my pennies and I buy it. Yeah. And I just, I like to fix things. And my wife says sometimes I get too carried away with fixing things and people don't want to be fixed. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of truth to that. Um, or they're not ready to be fixed. That's true. <laughs> and I'm not talking religion. I mean, there yeah. is religion in there too. But, right. I mean, I'm talking ethics. I'm talking you do the best you can for everyone. And, you know, that's why I, I do like living in a small town. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, another question um, that I've asked before uh, is, and you might have answered it a little bit already, but we'll see if you go there again, is what do you fear? I guess my health. You know, I went to the gym today. I go to the gym as many times and as I can. I think everything in moderation. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have a piece of pizza. Um, I fear the loss of a family member. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, boy, when our kids were teenagers, I feared that all the time. Not that I feared their friends, but there's always that pseudo friend out here it's going to come in here and you know you'd never know but the boys both turned out well they're very successful in their fields they have very good friends but i guess both i guess the, the loss of a loved one and and the health yeah and they're both somewhat really the same thing right i mean health of you and health of your family i mean that's exactly. in essence the same thing i had a saying in dental school if i had if everyone i loved and cared for was healthy and I had a full tank of gas and 20 bucks in my pocket, I was a very, very wealthy man. Yeah. And people would say, what's with the full tank of gas? I said, Temple Dental School's in a really tough neighborhood. <laughs> you wanted to get out of there at night. That's all it was. Now, they've cleaned it up quite a bit since then. That was 30-some years ago, but still. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, a lot of the, another thing that I um, that it's just kind of like a saying. I got a couple sayings that um, that we can comment here as we as we get towards wrapping it up. Of um, you know, kind of controlling, um, being in control of your own life because you're the one making the decision. And have you ever you know what, what thoughts about that? Have you ever you know come across that? Because and I'll kind of elaborate a little bit of you know you're the one making these choices you know you might have influences you might have reasons in your own mind that you're telling yourself that you got to make these choices but i feel that that every choice that you made you know what's simple as something of going to get in a glass of water or not working out in the morning or whatever the case is you're the one making those choices not anybody else right yeah and if you talk to anyone in my family they'll tell you i'm a control freak i, I just <laughs> like to have things you know organized the way i want it to be and um although i have friends who are more of a control freak. 
but um, I, I don't I don't know I just you know you're right though we all make our own decisions we all every I wish I could be more relaxed I wish I could be oh whatever you know if we get there at seven o'clock or eight o'clock what difference does it make I can't do that yeah and why do you think that is because your father told me Joe Paterno's quote <laughs> Is it the small things, little th big things? Yeah. No, it was for practice or a meeting or whatever. Mm -hmm. If you're there early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, it's inexcusable, something yeah. like that. <laughs> but no, I, I just think, you know, I, I, I try and respect my patient's time. I don't have them wait more than five minutes. And I feel if everybody would respect people's time like that, It'd be much better, you know. Yeah, time is a time is a funny thing um, when it comes to you know perspective and patience. Not like a patient, but patience, being being patient and supposed to um, having things happen fast. And I always look at time. That, that's something that you can never get back, right? I mean, it's right. one of the most valuable things that we have because you can't buy it. Right. You, you you just you can't buy it. You can't buy those those moments back. And trying to being able to live in in, in that moment and um, you know. From a from a time perspective, how do you look at it? Um, you know, again, like you said, you're 61. You're you know obviously towards the you know the end of your career. I'm sure in your own mind, at least. Um, your dad practiced until he was 79, I think. 83. 83. Um, you know, so you know you, you you've you, that's a long time from now. Um, 83. Um, have you actually, have you thought about it in that perspective of like that you could be doing this for another 20 years? Now, I've talked about, you know, maybe go another five years. I'd love to get an associate in here because we have such great families and friends who are patients here. And I don't want an arm and a leg for my practice. I want somebody that I can mentor and bring in. But when my wife says, oh, we replaced all the replacement windows over the last two years. I thought, wait a minute, we replaced them in 88. Now we replaced them again. So it's kind of weird to think that'll be our last refrigerator we have to buy. <laughs> that'll be the last windows we have to replace. You know, that is really, really weird. And it's weird when my sister-in-law, the funeral director, says, well, you know, we're in the last third of our lives. I thought, that's kind of morbid. I would like to think, you know, my dad is 87. He goes to the gym three days a week. I think, and then I had a retired teacher t once tell me, you have to stay as active as you can for as long as you can. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, I, I would like to keep going, you know, as long as my health is up. And like I said, the, the staff I have right now and the people I'm dealing with, my patients, my vendors, it's great. It, it's great. I have, here we are on a Friday. I have Fridays off. Right. You know, and that was my staff's doing. I used to take Wednesdays off and I'd come in and do paperwork. So they moved everyone to Wednesday and we take Fridays off. And I feel like I'm on vacation every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> but that's because I paid my dues. We work two evenings a week. We work Saturdays to build up the practice. So it is kind of all in, in perspective. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, another thing that, um, that I had here too is that a saying that I heard just the other day of, you know, nothing really that's rewarding can come easy, right? Absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you, there's two things I really, really cherish. One is the diploma on our wall back here from dental school. Not, of course, because I graduated from dental school, uh, that was awesome, 
but not because it was just my diploma, because my father gave it to me. If you have a family member in the field, you're allowed to ask the dean to stand aside and that member can present you with your diploma, which I didn't know that. My dad knew that, <laughs> but I didn't know that. So he talked to the dean and, and they, they, they did that. The other thing, and this is gonna sound corny, but as a young father, you could appreciate this. This is just a, a little notebook pad. And when our boys, well, Drew would have been six years old. So his chore, because we didn't believe in giving them allowances, his chore was to come down here on a Wednesday and on a Friday and carry all the trash from the side of the building and put it up in the dumpster. And he would get $2 every other week to do that. And then his younger brother, Cole, came along. So they would go down to my private office. They would log in. They'd do the trash, and they'd each take $2 out. And then just to <laughs> rattle my cage, because they knew I would always be called Dad, they would leave me a note down there, and they'd say, Hey, Denny, we need more ones. <laughs> <laughs> but this started them. They opened up a bank account down um, the local banker, and they were allowed to spend half of it however they wanted to. And then as they got older, the deal was they had to buy their own hockey sticks. Oh, yeah. And that made me feel so good to be at a varsity game and see one of our boys snap a stick. You know, you get wedged in the ice or whatever against the, the boards, against the wall there. And the other parents say, oh, that's going to cost you, what, 120 200 bucks." I said, not going to cost me anything. They buy their own sticks. Oh, how'd you do that? Well, it started when they were six years old. Yeah. They started earning their own money. Yeah. And then they started mowing the grass out here in the professional building. Drew was 14, 15 years old. I'm looking out there, and he's got everything matches. He's not a hat guy, so his shirt matches shorts, matches socks, matches shoes. His hair's combed, and he's just mowing back and forth. I thought, what is going on with him? He usually wears grubby clothes. Allegheny College women's cross country team ran <laughs> by. I thought he's a smart kid. Cole did the same thing because there's a lot of traffic here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, that's uh, that's a good. So again, punchline there is is that you know anything that, that comes easy, it's just it's so much more rewarding. If, if oh, and it's you know. difficult. It's difficult when you're a blue collar, white collar. You know everything isn't sunshine and roses. It, I, I got tough days here and people calling sick or you get so close to your patients and you know, find out that they have cancer and, you know and that damn cancer I just hope I'm still alive and we can beat that to death just get rid of the damn thing but you know there's a lot of dental ramifications with cancer yeah I'm sure and uh, that's why I'm so active with the Mevo Medical Center Foundation and, and their causes so but, you know, when I think I'm having a bad day and I think of somebody up there at the oncology center, my day's nothing. Yeah. You know, I got to get a new tire on the truck or someone dinged my door. Or, you know, the procedure didn't go well, so I got to get Mrs. Jones back again. And she might put on Facebook that I'm not a good dentist. You know what? I don't care. You know, every day above ground's a good day. Yeah, that's back to that perspective thing a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's what, seven to eight billion people in the world? Yeah. I mean, the fact that we're even in the United States, that puts us in a pretty good percentage. Absolutely. When you see those shots of the Earth from outer space and yeah. you think of how really, really small we are, 
you know, yeah. enjoy life the best you can. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, I don't have a whole lot. I usually like to leave it at the end, uh, kind of an open floor, open mic, so to speak. Um, anything for the, for the good of the group? Looking back, I would say enjoy life, you know, uh, enjoy time with your kids, definitely with your kids or your family or your friends. Um, so life's just too short, you know, and there isn't a job that's a perfect job. Work it will always be a four-letter word. There's going to be ups and downs, and that's why you rely on your family and friends, and I feel so fortunate in that way. Yeah. Well, that's good. This has been great. Thanks for joining me. And everybody out there, thanks for listening and or watching, and we'll see you on the other side. Thanks, DJ. Thanks, Doc. You're welcome, bud. Appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs>